I'm Micah Boyette, and you're listening to The Slow Way, a podcast about the quiet goodness of pursuing a sacred love that transforms everything, including you and me. This is a little space in the corner of the internet where we're learning the inefficient gifts of rest, of prayer, and the practice of going slow in a world that tells us our worth is found only in our speed, success, or power. But this is a space where we practice paying attention to what's real. The true thing deep down underneath the surface, we're loveless. Remembering that sometimes we just have to stop long enough to notice. So I'm grateful you're here making space to be reminded. This is episode 66 on falling short of love. Let's go the slow way. Listen, I don't like party small talk. I'm an Enneagram 4, and I tend to avoid shallow conversations at all costs. Tell me your deepest, darkest secrets and what keeps you awake at night. I'll tell you mine, and then we can cry together. That's my favorite party moment. I think I used to be more fun at parties until I had kids. Maybe it's the ache of raising humans or those extra portions of anxiety I've picked up along the way. Or maybe I just never was good at parties. But I find I have a lot more fun at parties with people who aren't parents. Small talk with parents feels especially shallow and performative. I usually brace myself for the following conversations. Work is so busy. My kids are too smart slash engaged slash talented for their own good. And uh, redoing our gorgeous living room is such a hassle. Chris has taken to describing me post-parties as judgy. And I guess that's fair. I try to go into these things with a commitment to fund. I will meet new people and I will be open to their stories and I will honor the way of Jesus by looking for the divine spark inside them. And maybe I'll dance. That is my pep talk on the way to the fall festival our neighborhood pool club hosts on a Saturday night. Our big boys are watching Ace and we have two tickets for the night where we'll have access to food trucks and a band. This, I tell myself, is a chance to really connect with people in our town. And seriously... I like making friends. So when I find myself chatting with a man I haven't met before, connecting over how we both have eight-year-old boys, his or twins, I do my best to warmly receive what I experience as his insecurities. He explains how he's the primary caretaker of his kids because, as he says over and over, his wife has the better paying job. I watch his chest deflate in his body every time he says this, his arm and body movements becoming more and more jerky, like his spirit is itching to escape out from under his skin. I nod my head. I know how hard it is to be the caregiver, to feel at the mercy of your partner's better salary, to feel unimpressive because our culture looks on childcare as less worthy than other work. I want to say something about this, something like, I see you in this feeling of insecurity. I know it must be hard. But he moves immediately to the next round of comfortable topics between parents who are strangers at parties. This round 
how annoying our kids are, but shucks, don't we love them? This is another topic I'm not interested in because usually the annoying things other people's kids do are the exact things I have spent eight years and hundreds of hours of therapy with my son to help him learn to do. They talk my ear off, darn kids. Every day, another practice. I mean, it's so hard to drive them to all these sports, but you have to nourish your kids' talents, right? He just reads so much and leaves books everywhere. She doesn't even say thank you, and I'm like, where are your manners? I'm usually pretty tough about these things. I don't need to share with strangers that my son doesn't speak or read that we're still working hard on basic skills like looking people in the eye when they say hello, that he struggles to use a fork or communicate his needs. But as the man stands before me, awkwardly shifting his body heel to toe, heel to toe, talking about how hard it is to drive his kids to daily soccer practices, he switches gears. And they sit there when it's time to go somewhere, just dangling their socks, staring at me like they're clueless, I'm like, you are eight years old. Put your freaking sock on. He laughs and looks to me so I can laugh along. I try to smile. He continues, I'm like, two-year-olds know how to put their socks on. I think about the mornings Ace sits for me, and I hold his hands as they stretch the sock wide enough to wiggle a foot inside. I think about the fine motor strength required to hold a sock open and pull it around a foot. I think about how if this man knew anything about my life or my eight-year-old son, he would be embarrassed, ashamed, or maybe he would just pity me, pity Ace. I grab my husband's arm beside me, asking him to help me snag something from somewhere else, disgust in my heart some anger too. I say goodbye and list all my grievances to Chris while we walk toward the bathroom together. A cover band is playing Bruce Springsteen's songs under a tent, but all I want to do is avoid the rest of the crowd and sit by the fire pit. I leave without ever touching the dance floor, and I blame that on the music, but I don't think it's the music's fault. The next morning at church, we come to our regular time of confession. As my pastor always says, confession is not a cosmic beatdown, and it's not a shame fest. Confession is a chance to notice how we've fallen short of love. I think of it sometimes as a practice of seeing the opportunities I've missed to experience the people or natural world around me as God experiences them with curiosity, with delight. Confession is a chance to open my heart again to transformation. As soon as I close my eyes, I see the man from the party laughing about his sons and their ridiculous inability to put on their socks. I'm tempted to taste the bile of rage that swells in me. But there's also a voice of invitation. To notice what my anger says about my own hurt, my own fears for my child, my own longing to be known. None of those things, my hurt, my fears, my longing, are anti-love. But the annoyance I felt for the man, the way I left the conversation before giving him the opportunity to hear my own experience as the mom of an eight-year-old. 
Those were choices I made to cut against the grain of love. I saw this man's obvious discomfort over being the primary caregiver for his kids, and I chose not to move toward that pain. And he covered his pain with shallow commentary, not knowing it would hurt me. I was recently introduced to the beautiful book series, Every Moment Holy, which includes three volumes of liturgies written by Douglas McKelvey, with prayers for marking not only our moments of change or need, but even our most quotidian of tasks. I ordered the first volume and was delighted when I received it in the mail and opened it to discover it includes a prayer before doing the laundry, a prayer for the ritual of morning coffee or feasting with friends, and even a prayer for that first fire pit session of the fall season. What a gift to have someone hand us beautiful words to mark our ordinary moments as sacred. And I was even more delighted when five days after the party, I opened my new prayer book to find a liturgy for those who feel awkward in social gatherings. Here's a bit of that prayer. I would rather learn to emulate your mercies by entering the lives of others, affirming their dignity and worth simply by showing interest in the details of their lives, however awkward I might feel in the process. Give me grace, therefore, O God, to love others, to move toward them when my instinct is to run. How do we live in all our moments learning to emulate God's mercy? I can be frustrated with the world's lack of care, the intrinsic ableism in all of us that allows for casual complaints about kids and their need to get with the program of typical development. But even in that hurt, I am invited to curiosity and care, to be a mercy emulator, to practice the way of Jesus to see the dignity and worth of every person I encounter, pausing in my frustration long enough to show interest in the real person, made in the image of God, longing for mercy. A slow practice. In her book, Radical Acceptance, Psychologist Tara Branch discusses the practice of what she calls the sacred pause, in which we learn to stop in the middle of obsessive thoughts or anxiety or moments of disconnect with others and notice how we're uncomfortable, restless, or responding to others from a place of pain. I want us to use her idea this week in our practice. Choose a task in your day-to-day where you can practice a sacred pause. Maybe it's each time you go up or down the stairs. Maybe it's when you stand up from your desk, when you take a bathroom break, or when your pet asks to be let out. Each time you meet with this task, stop. Stand still and take a deep breath. And then check in with your body. Ask yourself what you're feeling and how you're responding to the moment you're in. The pause only needs to take 30 seconds, and its purpose is simply to be aware. This is a practice that we can build more and more into the rhythms of our days, a simple way of noticing and reconnecting to ourselves and the presence of God. 
If you'd like to add a prayer to the practice, you could use these words from Every Moment Holy. You have called me to learn to love by my small actions and choices, those whose paths I cross moment by moment in all settings. Let's take a moment for a sacred pause right now. Thanks for being here. Choosing a moment of quiet and allowing yourself to be slow here is a way of refusing to conform with the culture around us. And look at us. We're making space for a fuller vision of ourselves and others, making space for wisdom, making space for love. That, my friends, is no small thing. Big thanks to Jason Boyette for designing our slow way graphic and the lovely Angelina Marie for editing and also to Owen Boyette, who's been helping me with my social media. My new book, Blessed Are the Rest of Us, How Limits and Longing Make Us Whole, is now available for pre-order anywhere books are sold. Pre-orders can really affect how booksellers approach my book when it eventually releases in April. I hope you'll consider clicking on the link in the show notes and supporting me in that way. Also, while you're thinking about supporting me, why don't you share this podcast or my Substack letter with a friend you think might enjoy it? Subscribing and sharing goes a long way. Also, I want to hear how this practice goes for you. You can reach out to me on threads or Instagram at Micah Boyette. Also, did you see the short five-question survey I created for all of you lovely listeners and readers? I want to know what you connect to in this space and what you would want from a paid subscription on Substack. You can find the link in the show notes. Thanks for being here with me. I'll be right back here next week, and I hope you'll meet me here too. Bye.